ding, ding, ding. That's five Taylor Swift mentions. That is five Taylor Swift <laughs> mentions to date. Hello and welcome to another socially distant episode of Grape Culture, the podcast where three women drink alcohol and talk about things and stuff. I'm Sam. I'm Kim. And I'm Alex. <laughs> and welcome to the episode. On this week's episode of Grape Culture, we're going to be talking about women in the music industry and the general attitude and treatment towards uh, people who make music who happen to be female or identify as female. But before we get talking about music and Taylor Swift and Tina Turner and all these people, we <laughs> we, we also have a Kim buzzer for the amount of time she mentions Taylor Swift in this episode. <laughs> but before we do that, we have some wine to talk about. So, um, I'm gonna, Alex, what have you got first? Because you... You have a, a curveball this week, don't you? <laughs> um, I do. So I am on a no drinking detox. Don't know why I chose to do that in the in a pandemic where booze numbs the pain. Um, <laughs> but, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I have decided. So the way I was picking my beverage of choice was to look at uh, female pop stars, uh, tour riders, to see what drinks appeared on their riders when they were talking. Love it. Interesting. So um, I have chosen to not only do it with my beverage, but to have a whole pop star immersive experience. So for my drink, I have got chocolate milk, vegan-friendly chocolate milk, which is a favourite of Taylor Swift on her rider. I also have a little snack of edamame beans, a favourite of Katy Perry. I also have a scented candle, a favourite for none other than Beyonce. So I am enjoying my whole pop star experience from home. I love this. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, love it. Absolutely sold. <laughs> a full would diva we, moment. Would that we all treated ourselves to the full diva moment every yeah. time. <laughs> exactly. I have no tasting notes. I just will live the experience and tell you more about it later. Excellent. I love it. Kim, how about you? I'm assuming you've not gone full rider experience uh, this week. I have not gone full rider experience, but I do have a musical wine. Um, I have gone for the Kylie Minogue Rosé. Ooh. um, I was quite chuffed with because obviously Kylie Minogue is a very famous and influential and uh long enduring pop star and apparently she has a rosé and is available at sainsbury's for a cool seven pounds so i'm only a little bit surprised to learn that it is in fact a french rosé but i think her husband is french i would have thought that it would be an australian wine but there you go um so rosé 2020 by kylie minogue Delicate and fruity with alluring aromas of crisp summer berries and blossom made from perfectly ripe sun-drenched grapes from south-facing vineyards. This French rosé is delicious on its own or pairs beautifully with salads and seafood. I feel like the description is um, not as cheesy as I thought it would be, which is nice because I feel like Kylie is being quite classy there. But there was a, a couple of nods to, I think, words that have been used to describe kylie or kylie adjacent um so such as alluring and perfectly ripe and sun-drenched so i'm looking forward to trying it 
Oh, someone described me as perfectly ripe. I think I'd be more offended by sun drenched. Yeah, okay, maybe that. <laughs> Sam, what about you? Um, I, I it's time for tenuous wine of the week, and um, so I have got a wine that is uh, it's called Oriel, and it is a rosé. Um, and the reason. I got it was because I was in the shop and I panicked and I went, Oriel <laughs> sounds like Ariel off of The Little Mermaid. And the whole plot line of The Little Mermaid is about her singing voice. So, oh my gosh, that is probably the yeah. most tenuous thing. <laughs> <laughs> that's, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty tenuous. I was hoping to be more prepared for this episode and find something really good. And then um, it was now and I hadn't done anything. So. <laughs> The tasting notes are our beautiful, our beautifully crisp and dry Oriel Rosé has been sourced from select, oh, specially selected vineyards in the southern, ugh, fuck my mouth, in the sunny Mediterranean region. Pale pink in colour, this wine shows delicious fresh strawberry notes. Oh God, it's going to be really sweet, isn't it? Mm. Um, combined with elegant white stone fruit flavours on the palate. Perfect with chicken, light pasta dishes, fish and seafood. I had chicken for dinner, so I think that counts. Cheers! This is one of those wines that, you know, sometimes when you drink wine, all the flavour goes to the outside of your mouth and then in the middle it's just like, Pah! do you ever get that? Yeah. No. Yeah, it's like a bubble. It's like a flavour bubble and there's nothing happening in the middle. Very weird. I can't imagine that. No, I don't know what you mean. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it's the sweet flavour bubble. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> That's all I can give you. Um, Kim, you're looking pensive as you sip at your Kylie. Yeah, I've taken several sips and I'm not I'm numbers. just not sure. Just not sure. Like, it's not an immediate, oh, this is disgusting. It's perfectly pleasant. It's just a bit average so far. But it might get nicer because, you know, it is the first sip and you never really can tell. So speaking of Kylie Minogue... We need to talk about women in music because that's that's why we're all gathered here today. But when we talk about female musical icons, and I would like to point out that when I'm saying female musical icons, I don't want to call women out for being different in music. It's just we are specifically talking about female identifying music musicians and their influence on the industry. Um, when we talk about female musical icons, who are the first people that you guys think of? I mean, obviously Taylor Swift. But actually, Madonna is, is, if I think of the word icon, it comes with a certain level of history. And I think, aside from obviously Taylor Swift, definitely Madonna. Yeah, I think Madonna's right in terms of icon. I was also thinking of Dolly Parton as well. I feel like she's quite an icon in the music industry. Dolly is <laughs> so pure and the world should be grateful for Dolly. Yeah, very good points. I think we, there are so many people we could talk about. I mean, I think one of the biggest one of the last 20 years is Beyonce. We can't talk about women in the music industry without talking about Beyonce. Um, very true. But also, you know, looking further back, you had um, people like uh, Dusty Springfield and Lauren Hill. And there are loads of women who have changed the course of the music industry but I think and Cher is another one when I think mm. of the word icon in the same kind of wheelhouse of Mado as Madonna where you're like mm. there's there's a longevity there and also Kylie to an extent yep, because she's been around for um, a long Billie time. Holiday. Billie Holiday yeah Billie Holiday um, and Nina um, Simone um, Nina Simone 
Edith Piaf. Like, yeah, we could go and go and go. But what do you think makes up, what, what makes someone a musical icon in your mind? Is it someone who is very musically talented? Is it someone that has just been around for a long time and had exposure? Is it someone that has done something revolutionary? Is it all of the above and more? Discuss. I think arguably longevity is the least interesting of those. I think that definitely helps. But I think that you can have icons in any industry because or that or because of not being around that long, like that weren't around that long or or because they weren't around that long. Someone can still be iconic. Sometimes because they yeah, because they died young. Or sometimes it's just because they had a, a brief career that was meaningful in its moment and in its time and and for what it did so I I personally think talent and revolutionary or like uniqueness or difference charisma for lack of a better word is is huge a huge part of making a musical icon in my opinion yeah agreed yeah um I think also I don't think longevity is maybe least important I think longevity comes as like an effect of all of those things so you know being revolutionary and uh, talented you therefore usually have longevity I think there's a difference in and we can get onto this later and I think Kim you and I watched the Taylor Swift documentary but there's a whole thing in the Taylor Swift documentary that talks about female pop stars or female people in the music industry having to kind of reinvent themselves. And I think there's something in that with longevity as well, is this constant kind of evolution of oneself. I think being innovative in the music industry, taking something that exists and completely making it their own and something different makes a female or makes an icon in any industry Um, And is particularly quite, when we talk about like Dolly Parton and Beyonce and Madonna, I think that is very relevant to them as icons. Yeah, it's interesting that you said, uh, you mentioned the reinvention thing there, because I think that's a really, it's a very interesting point, um, which I think is going to feed into something we would like to talk a bit more later in the episode. But this idea that reinvention as a musical artist, is something that is very often a word that's attached to female musical performers. When I think of men who have been in the music industry for 40, 50 years, they're doing the same shit. (laughs) Like, a lot of them are continuing... Like, think about Aerosmith. They've done the same thing for about four millennium. And although that's not true of every every single man in the music industry, it's definitely, like, like almost like a woman has to keep Mm. refreshing herself in order to maintain that longevity and I think that's a really interesting point yeah that's exactly what Taylor Swift talks about in the Miss Americana documentary which is on Netflix Mm. so many of her contemporaries are doing the same thing and when they try something different they are trying something different but they don't have to they're not it's not attached to their identity they can go back and forward and they can they can cross the way and it, it can be seen as just like dipping your toe in or whatever whereas for so many women it's it's almost yearly that or mm. per album cycle that they have to completely do something new and bigger and better and that it's it's completely like exhausting and she she talks about it in her own context and it's a big deal in the Taylor Swift like world of her, her eras but she talks about it and I think specifically 
references Madonna in that capacity, which is like she was one of the, the part of the reason that she's had such a long career is because she kept doing it. But then it's like, why does she have to keep doing it when I don't know? Neil Diamond can keep singing the same fucking songs that Neil Diamond sings and still sell out massive tours. And then at some point, when they when someone either stops reinventing themselves or misses the mark, then they are done if they're a woman. Whereas if you're a man and you release a flop, you get a hundred second chances. No one is going, well, they're never coming back and their their career is done and the time has run out. They're just like, the audience is just still there. Everyone is just still there wait, like when they decide to come back. Whereas, and it's not the same for women. Um, and the women about, um, taking huge risk. Yeah. I mean, think about um, like Rihanna, for example, who hasn't released a new album in several many years. And it's, you know, it's something that she's she gets asked all the time. But it's like, if she were a man who hadn't released a music, hadn't released an album for that long, would we be as concerned? I don't know. That was just one person. I no. Well, I I think it's the difference between asking and harassing. Almost like there's an yeah. expectation on Rihanna, and the beauty of Rihanna is that she is like, fuck off. I'm busy doing other stuff. But like, there may be the question of, oh God, I wish so and so would release another album when they're a male, but there's no, it's not the same sense of being owed their time and their presence on not just music, but like any topic, especially in, you know, in this age that we're in with social media and immediacy of celebrity. Women are held to a standard of greater immediacy and availability and reinvention than men are and yet men are given 10,000 more chances to do any of those things or fail at those things it's, it's almost like women are, are treated like a commodity which is <laughs> an unusual an unusual situation but I think we'll talk a bit a little bit more about this later on perhaps but speaking of these icons that we have all mentioned and like I say there are innumerable women over the course of the history of music which is thousands of years who have contributed what do you guys know specifically or what kind what do you know about the history of women in music of the last let's say 100 years where readily consumable music has been available in people's homes and is is not just for the upper classes as it was for a few centuries before I think the birth of the reality music competition TV show in its many forms be it X Factor Pop Idol Pop Idol the Rivals um uh what else was there just just you know numerous numerous shows the rise of that alongside what you're talking about in terms of social media and the immediacy of having access to people's lives I think you know that's kind of what I'm aware of as a consumer of music in a modern world because I don't really know a lot about the history of music at all it's not really something I ever kind of delved into or studied or had much of an interest in really especially as I sometimes feel that the history surrounding it sometimes goes hand in hand with like celebrity gossip and stuff and I think that is probably because of the rise of reality tv shows and everything that's kind of how I have seen it in my lifetime so have never necessarily delved in into that but I do think there is an interesting comment to make the fact that the only reason that I have a window into it now is due to these manufactured 
what music companies want you to see, what you want to invest in. They manipulate audiences to care about these people and therefore buy into them. And so in terms of modern day history, that's the only kind of window I have. And actually, I think that's quite warped. And so I wouldn't want to necessarily use that as a history lesson. Mm. Yeah, that's understandable. It's more more kind of a, well, I suppose all all history starts as a sociological and cultural thing rather than a historical thing. But it's because it's quite contemporary, I guess that's where that comes in, doesn't it? Kim, how about you? Are you are you, are you a music history buff? Do you abide all the musical documentaries? <laughs> um, I wouldn't call myself a buff, but I do. I know snippets of various things that I have been variously interested in at times. I read Billie Holiday's autobiography earlier this year, and it reminded me of a lot of stuff that I already knew, which is about the way that music was made prior to say the 70s 80s was not the way that we think of it now where like a song is brought to an artist and then they collaborate with on that and then it's theirs from the beginning and their recording is made and they make several versions of that recording and then it's owned by them and and their producers and they have the definitive one or if they've written it then they have the ownership of it or anything like that it was much more like they just kind of floated all these things around and it still does that to an extent where like people will write songs off to someone off them to someone else off them to someone else but Billie Holiday talks in her autobiography she tells a story of how something got written that is now canonically not the story of how it got written so she'll say oh no I wrote this melody mm. and the official Wikipedia will be like she didn't fuck this she didn't fucking write this melody. Someone else wrote it. She just sang it. And yeah. so she, the, the key thing is there that most of the songs that Billie Holiday talks about recording and making famous and being iconic Billie Holiday songs, she got nothing for. She got no money for because someone else said that they wrote it. And some guy was like, yeah, no, he wrote it. And she got paid for the recording, not for her art like her, 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 her voice so yeah. royalties and things like that and then remind me as well of later on my vague knowledge of Motown and again how um the way that Motown came to be and the the so many of the songs that we know from that kind of era and genre are made by female artists made and written by female artists who saw absolutely no money and got all their stuff taken away they were performing it and then they essentially got relegated to backup singers which it is stuff that is there in pop culture if you're looking for it like in hairspray for example i think they they make that point quite clear about like you've got yeah and dream girls exactly of you've got the people who are actually doing the work and the people who get the credit for the work and normally the people who get the credit for the work are male and or white in a black artistry world so that's most of that early stuff that I know and then the cultural impact that the 80s had on music was music videos becoming what they were so big in the 80s with the rise of MTV really really did change the scope and consumerism and pop idol idleness of Mm. the music industry I suppose also what you're saying, Kim, as well, like in the 80s and what I was saying about uh, the rise of the reality kind of pop TV show is the celebrity status overtook the music. 
That's exactly um, right. Although the, the visual of it overtook the music, the consumerism of it. Yes. Yeah, very good point. So what about you, Sam? What do you know? <laughs> what do I know? Yeah, you talked quite a lot there about, obviously, the appropriation of various musical styles and forms by men, often white men, but sometimes also men of colour from women of colour. That's something that I think started uh, or was very prevalent in the jazz age. Like the um, mm-hmm. Harlem Renaissance was a big, there are lots of important female musical artists at that time who kind of get forgotten because of the Duke Ellingtons of the world and because of, you know, various other, the, the Gershwins and, and other artists, but like people like Elizabeth Cotton, uh, Bessie Smith. Yeah, there's, there, are, there are loads of people that don't get the appreciation. And there, there are so many women working behind the scenes in music that we don't know about as well. That's the thing. Mm-hmm. Like we, when we think of women, when we talk about icons, we are talking quite a lot about primarily singers or people who are women who are known for their singing they are known because they are put front and center we're not mm-hmm. talking very much about Meg White for example of the White Stripes or any other female then <laughs> and now I'm like there are some who are they but but songwriters it, it, for example and and producers and stuff yeah. all and of so, whom exist but we don't necessarily know about them exactly like Carol King in the 60s and 70s was a huge songwriter various other uh, like fa- famous female drummers on tracks that you've not even heard of. I can't remember. I think it's Viola Smith, perhaps, is uh, one of them. But I just find it really interesting that throughout the history of music, we we always focus on the singers. We always oh. focus on the female singers. This isn't what I originally intended to say. It was just something that my my mouth went there. <laughs> Here no, we are. It, it uh, is a good point. We do we focus on the front. People. Really good example of that is no doubt Gwen Stefani was the mm. the front person, the singer, and you, she's the one you remember rather than any of the other band because any she was the, the one that was obje- objectified as that person. But yeah, I mean, and yet, sorry, I was just going to say, and yet most of the people that we've we've talked about um, so far have been celebrated for a lot of their other skills, but we think about them, their front person, and yet to compare to what we think of as male icons we probably be more likely to be talking about the longevity of their songwriting rather than necessarily their singing abilities. I'm thinking particularly of when the you, Beatles. Yeah, when you talk about the Beatles, everyone gets really excited about Paul and John yeah. and the music they created. And then when you listen to the music, they're like, they are not great. They're not particularly good singers. <laughs> Ditto. Ringo isn't name? even the best drummer in the Beatles. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But yeah, like in the same breath as talking about any other, like any male musical artist, you will talk about the the brilliance of their songwriting. Whereas with women, we think about their performance as singers and as celebrities. We've been talking about their performance as celebrities as well, in the same as if they are synonymous. And also typically like what they looked like in their music video or what they looked mm-hmm. like in a performance like on some kind of award ceremony or the Jonathan Ross show or whatever mm. it's always how did they look but I yet yeah. I can't yeah. think of one male performer because we're talking about performers now mm. I can't think of one male performer where I'm like I was more intrigued about what he was gonna wear than what he was gonna sound like yeah yeah May- maybe very very maybe Prince 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 is a good uh, good point there um Bowie Bowie, yeah. Um, 
But then it's not famously androgynous. Yeah, performance. Yeah, um, yeah, but uh, flamboyant for want of a better word, even though it's a shit seventies way of saying queer, <laughs> like performances, and which is which is really interesting that that theatricality and those those uh, memorable performances have been from people who straddle the gender line when it comes to their visuals i think um, that's really interesting <laughs> yeah um yeah, definitely yeah I, I just think in the history wise coming back to that point though we see as always in so many cases it's there are so many women of color who, who lead the way musically and do experimental things that are then ripped off by by men and and white women um mm-hmm. like there's various things that elvis did that had been done historically by by women before him in, in terms of the performance style. Uh, Hendrix, uh, the way he played guitar was influenced by a woman. It's it's just really interesting to see how think... often they stand in the shadows. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so many musical genres have started in uh, communities of colour, jazz, rock and roll, R&B, like pretty, pretty much all of them, blues. Yeah, all of them. But um... and all I was going to say, and similarly the other way round, I don't know if anyone's watched the documentary with Jade from Little Mix about race that's on BBC iPlayer. No, um, you've talked about it, and I I have never quite got around to it, but you've talked about it, and I'm really intrigued by it. Oh, there's a Jesse. There's two. No, there's two. There's a Jesse one that's all about being so in the spotlight for her weight and her appearance and being completely like torn down because of that. Um, and her mental health but there's also a new one that's just come out that only came out about like three weeks ago or like maybe a month ago that is um jade talking about uh racism in the music industry and um she even comments that it's kind of the opposite to what we're talking about now that when she was first kind of cast in the band, essentially, because they were cast, because they were put together in a reality TV show, she was made to wear very specific outfits and was given lyrics and rap moments within their pieces because it aligned more with what the public thought she should be doing. I don't want to. <laughs> I don't want to call out the Spice Girls here, but I think that they are a really good example of this kind of compartmentalizing of women into these tropes where you each of them like you almost forget their names because they just had a an adjective attached to them and you were like oh right that's like they were something to collect and it's something that I think has persisted since when you think about girl groups when you're like oh the sexy one oh the feisty one oh the yeah. this and it's like you never think about that with a with a, a male-led band Oh yes, you do. Do you? Yes, you do. Oh, I mean, really? I think I think you're making an excellent point. I just want to make this really, really clear. You're making an excellent point. The Spice Girls absolutely, and it's definitely more prevalent with female band members. And it's the Spice Girls absolutely commodified women in two nice, neat little doll packages, and then made the one artist of color the scary Spice, which is a whole other thing to unpack. But yeah, does and dressed into her exactly- in animal print. And exactly what we were yeah. just talking about with with um, the r- whitewashing and race racial inequality and otherness of black women in the music industry. But boy bands, <laughs> there is the dancey one and there is the Justin one. And the Justin one is the one that goes on to have, or the Robbie Williams one, the one who goes on to have 
there's the bad boy, and they there's the one there's the one that goes on to have the solo career, and there is an excellent there's an excellent parody of you don't know you're beautiful, uh, which is all which is you know like they don't know what they're singing, blah blah blah, and one of the lines is like I will be the Justin one, no you will be the fat one. And it's like, <laughs> I'm going to, because of Joey Fatone, who was the dancer in NSYNC, who was also fat. And like, there's uh, just, yeah. So, I um, just, yeah. Okay. And there's like the pretty one and the gay one. <laughs> there are definitely stereotypes, but that but, might just be because I, that's more boy bands than male artists, which I think is the difference, which is female anything have to fit into sexy edgy cool fashionable whereas most male rock stars quote-unquote rock stars or pop stars get to be who they are and it is only specifically boy bands that are like being watched for who's going to be the robbie williams justin timberlake but isn't that interesting though that when it comes to boy bands when you name these when you say the Robbie Williams, the Justin Timberlake, the Their actual names, yeah, the J.C. Shazay. No, right. you're quite, you're quite right. Yeah. You're quite right. They get names. You do automatically reference specific people, and the beauty is that the Justin Timberlake was not the Justin one of NSYNC. It was supposed to be J.C. Chavez, but um, Justin Timberlake <laughs> was, did it yeah. because he took advantage of his connection with Britney Spears, and that is another conversation. And I think we will get on to Britney. After the break, but this seems <laughs> That's like a whole other conversation. <laughs> we, we you you will have to tune in after the grape culture break for our Britney segment, which is going to be extensive, I'm sure, <laughs> and chock full of puns, a la Stephen Colbert. But we, this seems like a good point for break because also I really need a wee. <laughs> we will come back talk briefly about how we're finding our wine, uh, Britney, and other women within the music industry because obviously there are more people than Britney. our break uh we are part way down our wine and part way through our show which is nice and convenient how is everyone finding actually alex i'm going to come to you first to talk about your chocolate milk <laughs> how how is it how much have you been able to drink without it being like cloying <laughs> my pop star experience went down very well i had some bar snacks some chocolate milk and it smells very nice in my room i finished my chocolate milk now like a pure rock star before bed I've moved on to some cucumber water and tea. <laughs> oh wow! Oh wow! Your voice, your vocal cords are going to be on point, immaculate. Cucumber water and tea. Mm-hmm. Like a I love it. <laughs> you are living yeah. your best detox you, life. You are living the post rehab life. Yeah, yeah. That, actually, that is true. There you go. And how's, Kim, how's how is your pre rehab <laughs> wine? <laughs> Uh, yeah, my absolutely nowhere close to rehab wine is um it's very nice. It's very it is very delicate. Like it's a very subtle flavour. And at first I thought that it was a bit bland, but actually the more that I've like the it's warmed up a little bit, which helped. But also like I had a sip of it after having a break from it. It's the kind of wine that I would have with a summery salady lunch. It's not an evening wine. It is almost a special occasion wine, even though it's only seven pounds. Because it is not just a wine that you drink and you don't care what you're drinking it with. I do think if you pair it with the right meal in the right moment, 
like having the girls around for dinner and you have it to like to start or something it's a really lovely wine i'm enjoying it a lot splendid good job kylie what about you oh my oriel is ah it's okay it's inoffensive rosé it's the the flavor bubble has burst and there are some more flavors but they're a bit melony so we talked a bit in the first half of the show about how there are certain standards for women in the music industry that either don't apply don't seem to apply to the men or are less prevalent and less less commonly seen do you think there are certain stereotypes for women within the music industry that that we are still seeing today sexiness i was gonna go for sexiness but i was also gonna go for I think it's brought about a whole new rise of female artists that are like rebelling and celebrating against the rebellion of the sexiness or the kind of male gaze sexiness. You know, people like Billie Eilish and very much the kind of Billie Eilish movement of I will not conform to what you believe a pop star should look like and I'm going to be my own self. And I think that's brought about a kind of new rise of almost kind of like a new category for pop stars you know young girls are looking up to these girls which I think is great because you know we were talking about the Spice Girls and stuff and yes they were kind of as much as they did a lot for girl power they were packaged as sexy they were packaged as these kind of stereotypes and they did sing songs about sex which as we all know, when I realised that Two Become One was about sex, I was mortified that I used to sing that at the top of my voice. Only finding that out in my 20s. Put it on. <laughs> yeah, because we told you. I think you were 23 when you discovered that. It, yeah, it blew my mind. And I, I, I do feel sometimes mortified thinking of the songs I used to sing at the top of my voice, like in my living room. And my parents had to listen to that. And I'm not saying that all song song lyrics are clean now, but there's definitely a rise of people that are embracing empowerment rather than sexiness. It's all right. In 15 years' time, there are going to be kids now who look back at the fact that they were going, now from the top, make it drop. That's some whap, whap, whap. And they are going to feel mortified by that but yeah the, there is the sexy thing is is an interesting one because like you say Billie Eilish is a really good example mm-hmm. of someone who is who actively when no you don't get to objectify my body to get fucked and then and then did a very abrupt vote uh, first on her but on her own terms when she did the was it a Vogue cover I can't remember which magazine it was where she had yeah, the you know so. the lingerie and and it did but it did feel very much and I, I could be wrong because I wasn't in the room when these decisions were made. I wasn't in the room where it happened. But it felt like it was her going, okay, now I'm ready to do this. And because I want to do it. Not, I could be wrong. Yeah, I think I remember her being quoted because there was this big like uproar in the media of like, oh, now like you can flash some flesh. It's like, well, yeah, because now I'm an adult. Now I'm 18. And also... So you hate me for not doing yeah, it, but you hate and me for doing exactly, it. Exactly. And I'm choosing to do this now, not because it was expected of me. Or I was a seven, yeah. 16 year old who was felt pressured into representing this kind of ideal body. So, yeah, I think doing it on her own terms is a good way to put it, I think. In the contrast to, I think, what a lot of um, artists that we were familiar with, like uh, Miley Cyrus, for example, where they had their, like, I'm a grown-up moment and I'm going to be sexy. Mm. And you're like, 
ah, chill out. The difference that we feel now is that this reinvention feels like a choice, not a reaction. Mm. Yeah, the sexy thing is is obviously huge and for reasons that we talked about earlier with, with also with mtv and that like that rise in the visual side of music you know that contributed hugely to that can you think of any other examples of like because in my head i think of there's a sexy yeah i mean the music industry reflects stereotypes of women anyway like that's just it's a microcosm of that so you have the, the, the sexy one you have the girl next door early taylor swift like that kind of uh, Miley Cyrus when she was Hannah Montana, like or when she was doing Hannah Montana, not when she was. It's the flip wholesome, side. It's the yeah, virginity those, side of things because you had a really yeah, the, Madonna, the, the Madonna whore. I'm just yeah. making for an, an artist that's just called whore. no but it is that and you did have a disturbing Miley Cyrus is part of this a disturbing duality 2000s trend of like virginity and i mean Mm. they're not female artists but the the biggest uh, proponents of that is the jonas brothers but that whole machine that they were part of which included miley cyrus and demi lovato and selena gomez and uh peripherally taylor swift this uh this like virginal perception of having to be quote unquote above the quote-unquote trashiness of their generation and not being able to and not being able to be seen to be anything other than good and which it's, is it's all worth of this noting, it's worth noticing as well that this is all very like these are very westernized stereotypes and this is something we see a lot in western music i yes. don't know but i just wanted to bring that up because i was like the whole the madonna whore thing is very rooted in christianity and the yes um, abraham mcfates you're absolutely right but i have read a fair amount about k-pop um oh, yeah, and, and the uh the virginal aspect is is translated very much there that there, there is a real like you cannot do anything wrong. You have to be, and it and it's more political that it's it's as much about sex. Like you have to look sexy but be good, unavailable, good and pure and obedient, as I understand it. So, but I think that's a really good point. Is that we are looking at this from artists that we know about in the Western canon, Alex? You were going to say something. There was an um. <laughs> <laughs> um, talking about, I suppose we were talking about being papped and the media perception of someone's life very much being at the forefront of how we think of someone as a person as opposed to maybe the music that they're creating is it time to talk about Britney let's talk about Britney Jean Spears for a minute if we can yeah um this is particularly timely and it's for the show that we're talking about and granted we're recording this a month before listeners will will be able to hear this at the earliest date but um at the moment the uh conserv is conservative ship isn't it is that yeah. the word yeah. the control that her father has over her career fin- finances and life decisions is being re-examined and she is an interesting one because she is a huge musical cultural icon we're using that word again, icon, in our lifetimes as millennial women. And also I think for a lot of people, regardless of your age, because I think everyone's heard of Britney. So, <laughs> uh, and I think she's had a huge impact on pop music as a whole. Alex, what did you what, what did you want to say about Britney? 
Well, I just, I do find it really interesting that we were talking about the kind of prior to the conservatorship, because I think that's a whole other kind of controlling thing that may not actually have been able, been allowed to happen to a man. But I suppose the way in which she got there was this very kind of public decline and everything down from when she was with Justin Timberlake and being questioned continuously about whether she's lost her virginity to Justin, to suddenly having babies and being questioned about whether she's a good mother to you know her weight gain to like literally anything you can possibly think of she was pulled apart very publicly and obviously it drove her to a very public breakdown and it's only now that we're kind of hearing from her again that she's coming up for breath because of this conservatorship being thrown into the media and thrown into the limelight again. I think, like you said, she's so interesting to kind of look at through this lens that we've been talking about. And I do honestly think that this wouldn't have happened to a male icon. I can't think of any men that have... Men in the in the music industry that have had very public breakdowns that didn't just involve kind of drugs or alcohol misuse that were due to the public's interrogation of that person. And I just, yeah, I just think that's really interesting and sad. Yeah, I agree. And I think it's really interesting looking back on some of her music, which is not not necessarily music that was written by her, but songs that were within her discography. I think of two examples that I'm like, oh, we... we should have been paying attention to that. Um, one is my prerogative, which was a cover, and another is pieces piece of me, which are basically like everybody wants to be a part of my life. And in my head, it's that same. If anyone who's ever seen Rick and Morty, it's that let me out, let me out. This is not a dance. Like I, I don't know. Do you, do you get that? Looking back on that now, I'm like, oh, lucky, lucky. Yes, lucky yeah, is, the, um, is the is the every time. <laughs> Every yeah. time. Oh, well, every yeah. time. I mean, even the video, the video oh. in every time is like fucking savage. I remember that so, so clearly. There is a lot in Britney's career where she was like, help me. You need to help me. Yeah. And, no one and, and we ignored her. I, I think, like, oh, isn't it the, funny? Look, she shaved her head and attacked someone with an umbrella. Lol. Yeah. In 2008, gossip was, or 2006, I think it was, uh, gossip was. Paris Hilton's underwear showing and Britney Spears shaved her head. And that was, there was no sympathy. It was cackling and abuse. Whereas now there is at least half sympathy. And, you know, not to just focus on women in this case, you know, in in the goal of equality, Justin Bieber is a a very similar story, frankly, to, to Britney Spears. But like you say, Alex, he's not under a conservatorship. He's not also i was going to bring him up as well but for that exact reason there is less concern even though what he has done since his his first days of stardom can be quite closely tracked with the behaviors of a female child star in terms of behavior and image change and musical change and everything now but i have not seen people being like "Mm, he's going off the rails whereas it's been a lot more like he's growing up and becoming a man Mm. and do it like it 
Mm. Yeah. And you're right. There is not the same. There is not the same concern. There is not the same narrative. Narrative or the same degree of attention of like, what's he going to do next? What's his next tattoo going to be? Is he going to go outside? Like, is he going to sunbathe naked? Oh my God. But then I also wonder, obviously what happened to Britney so publicly, it was awful. And we're like, we're all to blame. I was like, oh my gosh, what's she going to do next? I can't Mm -hmm. believe she's shaved her head. And then using the expressions like, oh, I've done a Britney or something like that. Like I am guilty for that too. And looking back on it, I feel really ashamed of that. But I wonder if it is because she contributed to our now kind of more awareness to mental health, to um, supporting people that are going through these kind of times. Because I do think the conversation around mental health is a lot bigger and much more open and much more concern-centric than it may have been previously. And I do think her very public breakdown, her public like illness contributed to that. Yeah, but I think considering when it happened, what, 2006, seven era, it's taken a long time to get to that point. And I don't know if if that happened, if that was a, something that a, a celebrity went through now, I think it'd be very different. I don't know if I would ever pinpoint that as a key moment because people found it so easy to ridicule and yeah. so easy to but, but then seeing it now through our, our current lens like watching the documentaries we're like oh my god I'm ashamed like that's crazy but the only way yeah. you've been able to go on that journey is because she started that journey you know public See, breakdowns I... contributed to then the future of us talking about it you're right Alex in that it is it's a cultural touchstone it's a time when it, it's something that made us, yeah, it did make us realise we should have done better, but I don't think it's something that made us realise that at the time. On the on the topic, uh, on the topic, subject topic, <laughs> topic if you like, uh, of uh, cultural touch, touchstones, as you just said, Kim, women in music are often associated with various cultural shifts. Do you think it's fair to say that women in music can be seen as cultural revolutionaries? Absolutely. I mean, I think that music is one of the biggest proponents of like protest and change. And I do think that there is and are shifts from musical icons that have been proponents for societal change. I think for every parade or march or chant, there is in which an artist is being played in the background and becomes emblematic of a movement there is a female icon in in those realms what about you cucumber water what do you think i think protest is a really interesting way to answer that question and it's not where my brain automatically went so i think that's actually a really interesting mm. and clever point especially us talking about you know people like billie eilish and people that might use their like lyrics to represent something that they're particularly passionate about and get that into the homes of a lot of people very quickly and in a sometimes very beautiful way. I think also taking the way that we spoke about reinventing and we spoke about it quite negatively, apart from maybe like Madonna, we took that quite positively. And I think there is something positive in reinventing as well um, and representing to people that you can constantly learn and grow. It's not that you like grow up and you're this one person and you just have to stay that person and then you die because that's like the worst kind of lesson to give anyone. 
And I especially think that's true, or I especially think it's important because I think a lot of particularly female artists have a large following of young people. And, you know, we all can like remember dancing to Spice Girls and singing them or any other kind of artists, even if it's questionable lyrics. And I think it's very easy to reach young people in their homes, in their lives through music. And if those people that are singing those songs, either singing it as the front person or making it behind the scenes or writing it, if they are empowering brilliant women, then I think that's an amazing thing. Interesting. I think cultural revolution is an interesting thing because when I think about revolution and protest, like we've just mentioned, and various things, I don't know about you, but there's a lot of these key events come with a soundtrack in my brain. <laughs> I think about the pacifist movements of the 60s and 70s in the wake of the Vietnam War. I think about Janis Joplin. Mm-hmm. I think about like... Uh, the riot girl movement of the 90s, the the angry, the music that was tied in alongside, obviously, the uh, Nirvana, oh God, what's, Nirvana, what's the genre? Grunge. Grunge, grunge. Like that kind of progression, like I think about uh, bands like Hole. But yeah, I think music is inextricably linked with social and cultural revolution. And I think that the part of women in those musical parts of revolution is 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 massively underplayed. And yet when you think about it, it's huge. So before we finish tonight, I want to get your thoughts on where you think the attitudes towards women in the music industry are headed based on what we've seen in recent years, because there have been a lot of artists and songs and movements that have been focused on a very different aspect of women and musicality and yeah I just kind of wanted to get your closing thoughts um like we mentioned previously I do think there is this kind of movement to uh rebel against this stereotype that we've created within the pop industry within the music industry for women this kind of stereotype of like being sexy or being a particular type of personality that uh we and the media buy into Um, and create as well to a certain extent. So I do think there is a kind of rebellion against that that is rising for good. I do think there is a move to for women to empower themselves and therefore hopefully empower listeners and audiences. I think there's still many, many things that are problematic and we could go on talking about that forever. But I really... I really hope that there is change that is happening. I definitely feel like the music industry represents a broader range of people and women than it ever has done before or what I remember from when I was younger. And a lot of women within the music industry make me really proud to be a woman. So I think that's a good thing. That was lovely. I completely agree. I do think that there is a greater emphasis and appreciation for females in the music industry. And I, I've actively noticed an uptick. I do still think, and I hate the fact that it's true, but I still think that there is a long way to go in the terms of the objectification and pressures put on those artists, specifically around how they look. And I also think that there is still a laziness in the media to default to, oh, these two artists are feuding and 
let's mm. play them off against each other because they are both women and they can't possibly have any other narrative other than the fact they hate each other and it really negates the work and artistry that people do so I still think there's a long way to go but mm. I think that there is real noticeable mainstream appreciation and indie snob appreciation <laughs> of musical artists who are women very well said music should be be devoid of gender in terms of if you are listening to something and someone's singing why if you're listening to someone play guitar for example why would the gender of that guitarist matter if you're enjoying what they're playing and I think the same vocally mm. and like it, it's a really weird mm. thing to be so gendered you know yeah yeah it's like a piece of art it doesn't matter who's painted it yeah I think the music industry has change some things but then the nature of the music industry is that it is continually changing as many art spaces and industries are we still need to stop basing anybody's musical prowess on their physicality male or female or um intersex non-binary gender fluid whatever and i think that's something that the industry is working towards but I think it feels like there is greater agency for female musical creators to do things on their own terms. But before we do our final rating of our wines slash chocolate milks for the night, can we just go around very quickly and each give our favourite musical artist who happens to be female? Okay. Taylor, sorry, Kim. Kim will choose. <laughs> <laughs> one yeah no I was actually gonna choose um uh, no Taylor Swift obviously she couldn't even think of anyone else <laughs> no, I, I could I just didn't want to insult them by then calling by them then somehow lesser them. when it's a very personal feeling that I have about Taylor Swift I just love her she does a lot she's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination neither am I I recognize very many of her flaws i'm not immune to hearing about them but i love her and i would gonna go listen to her after this <laughs> good okay alex <laughs> i think you know talking about women as you know you spoke about soundtracks to moments throughout history I feel like there are different if you ask me at different points in my life i would give you a different answer Currently, I'm t- a toss-up between two people that we haven't actually mentioned, which is Florence mm-hmm. and Lord. Mm. Oh yes, Lord. Okay, yeah. interesting. Fair. Um, for me, it's a re- it is a really hard question to answer when you just have to pick one person. But I do have to say, from the point of view of someone who fought against adversity, created really good music changed their musical career when they were in their 40s uh, which is a very hard thing to do for a woman uh for anybody but particularly a woman um i'm gonna give a big shout out to tina turner Ooh, tina turner nice good choice yeah. so what a wide variety of women we've gone for like different mm. eras different genres 
Well, that brings us to the end of the show this week. But before we go, uh, we each have some drinks. Alex, I don't know if you... <laughs> I'm, I'm going to ask you to rate your chocolate milk and your... your uh, um, I was going to say porn star situation. That's not what I meant at all. Your pop star immersive experience. <laughs> How would you give your edamame beans and your... My Beyonce-scented candle. I will give the overall experience... I'm going to give it a nice three because I still thoroughly enjoyed myself. I felt like I was still part of the podcast despite not drinking wine. Um, mm-hmm. And it was very tasty. It gave me a boost of sugar and a nice smell to my nose. <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> a multi-sensory experience, which is where I think we can expect exactly. music to go within the next five years. <laughs> um, fantastic. So a three, four, misc. Uh, Kim, how about you and your Kylie Minogue Rose? It's hard to place. I At times I've really enjoyed it. At times I have less enjoyed it. Like I feel like this is just the wrong setting for this wine. Um, I'm going to give it a three because I think that I don't want to discourage people from trying this wine. It's a good wine at a good price, available easily from several retailers and (laughs) would serve a beautiful purpose as a lunchtime tipple. It is a good all-rounder. I think that it paired well as well with our discussion. Yeah. Okay. That's that's about what I would expect from 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 a Kylie Minogue wine. Three grapes. And for me, the Oriel Mediterranean Rosé, oh, it's a it's a two. Um, oh, lower than my chocolate milk. It, yeah, I think I'd rather have had chocolate milk. Actually, I'd rather have had chocolate milk with a shot of rum in it, uh, which would have been nice. But uh, it's, it's sort of nothing-y. It cost £9, which is not... A huge amount but it's enough that you would like to like it you know yeah 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 you'd expect it to have more more uh oomph more pizzazz and it and it had neither of those things so yeah two two groups of the oreo uh i don't think it's necessary to rate to rate women in music because that seems <laughs> productive um but if anyone is interested, there's a very good book that I read, uh, which is called uh, She Can Really Lay It Down by Rachel Frankel. Um, <laughs> and it is a very short, uh, it, it's a series of 50 very short biographies of women in music from about 1898 up to the present day, um, covering a range of ethnicities, sexualities, genders, abilities, ages and various backgrounds um and i found it really interesting and if anyone would like to read it i would recommend it and i have also put a playlist on spotify which involves which includes songs from all of these women uh which i will put a link to in our show notes if anyone would like to listen to it 
which can be found on our website, which is www.grapeculturepodcast.co.uk. You can also find out more on our social media channels. We're on Twitter at GrapeCulturePod. We're on Instagram at GrapeCulturePodcast. Or, you know, if you're really eager, you can send us an email, grapeculturepodcast at gmail.com. Why the hell not? We've got nothing else to do. So thank you for listening. Don't forget we're running on a revised schedule at the moment, once a month releases, and we will be back in a month's time with a new episode that we will decide shortly but we look forward to you joining tuning into us then bye goodbye bye 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 and for everyone that we haven't mentioned it is probably just because we cut it because we were talking about it off mic <laughs>